0: if you would please, and turn with me to Joshua chapter 10. Joshua chapter 10 this morning, and as we get to Joshua chapter 10, we're going to look at another um, unique story of how God brought victory to His people, and uh, we're going to look at what that means for us as we live our lives. So what we'll do is walk through this chapter, Joshua chapter 10, and uh, as we go through this kind of verse by verse, we're going to look at some different um, just kind of thoughts, principles that come out to us As we move through this story So let's just jump in Joshua chapter 10 Beginning with verse 1 Just for the record What we're about to read Is a lot of names and places That could make it easy for you To start thinking about lunch Okay Track with me here Okay, get the get the story In fact, let me give you some background Where are we at? Joshua chapter 10 Well, three four chapters ago Joshua led the children of Israel, and they defeated Jericho. Do you remember that? march around the walls of Jericho, and the walls came tumbling down, yeah. Then they get to Ai, and after the little sin issue that they had with Achan, they go back, and in an an ambush ordained by God, they decimate Ai. The people of Gibeon hear about this, and they trick Joshua into thinking that they're from far away. They actually only live about 20 miles away. But they roll in, they convince him... ...to form a treaty with them. And Joshua, even though he's not supposed to sign a treaty... ...does, falls for their trick. And now you've got Jericho destroyed. You've got Ai destroyed. You've got Gibeon, this very strong military city... ...who has instead kind of wimped out and signed a treaty... ...instead of fighting them. So this is the background of the story. This is where we find ourselves in chapter 10. Now Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem heard that Joshua had taken Ai and totally destroyed it, doing to Ai and its king as he had done to Jericho and its king, and that the people of Gibeon had made a treaty of peace with Israel and had become their allies. He and his people were very much alarmed at this because Gibeon was an important city, like one of the royal cities. It was larger than Ai, and all its men were good fighters. So Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem... Appealed to Hoham, king of Hebron, Piram, king of Jarmuth, Japhia, king of Lachish, and Dabur, king of Eglon, come up and help me attack Gibeon, he said, because it has made peace with Joshua and the Israelites. Then the five kings of the Amorites, the kings of Jerusalem, Hebron, Jarmuth, Lachish, and Eglon, joined forces. They moved up with all their troops and took up positions against Gibeon and attacked it. Now, it's easy for us to just kind of check out on all of this. But this is all part of the territory that God had told Joshua, not only that he would give to them, but that they were to go and conquer. They were to go and take this territory. Now, it might help you if you kind of see a map, and, and this might be difficult to kind of focus in on, but there's a map that we'll look at here. All the way to the right, kind of in the center, you see where it says Gilgal, just over Jericho. That's where Joshua's camp was. Gibeon is to the left... If you follow that kind of brown arrow line that goes across where the little kind of starburst pattern is, that's Gibeon. Those are the ones who made the treaty. And so all these other nations and or, or cities, these would be the ones that have the little stars as you go down kind of to the left and and south there. They all came together and said, Gibeon has dangerously signed a treaty with Joshua. We need to go and teach Gibeon a lesson not to do that but to stick with us. Here's what might help you to understand this a little bit better. Let's, let's say there's an army in Cleveland. And the army in Cleveland, I, I just saw your sweatshirt, and it, it's, it's not the Browns, just for the record. Yeah, yeah. So tempted right now. Just to. Let's say there's an army in Cleveland that gets on the turnpike and starts coming our way, Okay? And they're bringing destruction along the way. And the people in Sylvania hear about it. And the people in Sylvania say, we don't want anything to do with this army. Let's sign a treaty with them. And so Sylvania signs a treaty with this army coming from Cleveland so that they don't have to fight. And the king of Toledo, whoever that might be, right... The king of Toledo says to the folks in Springfield and Monclova and Maumee and Perrysburg, will you join with me and fight against Sylvania who has um, made this treaty with this enemy army? Does that help to understand a little bit more? Yes? Okay, all right. And just for the record, you people in Sylvania are a bunch of chickens. I mean, I'm just, let's just say that, right? Okay? So that's what's happening here. And this army's coming in, and the king of Toledo, Adonizedek, says, we've got to do something about this. We've got to fight in this moment. Now remember, Joshua made a treaty with the people in Gibeon, and he said, we will defend you. So watch what happens. Joshua chapter 10, verse 6. The Gibeonites sent word to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal, Do not abandon your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us. Help us because all the Amorite kings from the hill country have joined forces against us. So the people in Gibeon send a text message to Joshua and say, help. Can you come and do something? We can't deal with this. And you made a promise to us that you would come and defend us. So help. I don't think this was Joshua's plan. I mean, as you read this story, there's a couple things that become very clear. One, Joshua actually made a mistake in ever agreeing to this treaty. So now he probably regrets that he did it. And he had a plan for going in and taking over the land, and it did not include a text message, especially not right now, from the Gibeonites saying, will you come and rescue us? This was not his plan. This isn't what he expected. He had a different idea in mind, and yet because he had obligated himself in this relationship, he could not walk away from it and still maintain his character. Character's a key word here. And what we see in this verse is that character is not convenient... Your character, your integrity, doing the things that are right, are not always the convenient thing to do. We've seen this already in this this book, but we see it again here. And this is just, just something quick for you to grab. There are times when you have to do the right thing. There are times when you have to make a decision, and you make a choice, and you say, this is what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to respond. And it's not always the thing that you want to do. When I, when I was thinking about this, I thought of this old joke. And I'm sure over the years many of you have heard this joke before. But it came to my mind that there was this one Sunday morning that a mother went into her son's bedroom to wake him up for church. And she said, honey, it's Sunday, you got to get up, you got to get ready, you've got to go to church. And her son rolled over in bed, turned his back to his mom, his face to the wall, and he said, I am not going to church today. And she said, yes you are. Why wouldn't you go to church? He says, I'll give you two good reasons why I'm not going to that church today. Number one, they don't like me. Number two, I don't like them. And his mom said, I'm going to give you two good reasons why you are going to church today. Number one, you're 59 years old. Number two, you're the pastor. (laughs) Not my experience for the record, okay? Sundays are the highlight of my week. But I know that guy. (laughs) And have you ever been in a place where you knew what you were supposed to do, but you didn't want to do it? You knew what was the right thing to do? He just didn't... It didn't feel like the right time and here's the truth character is not convenient and doing the right thing does not always come at the right time Have you found that to be true? Opportunity doesn't always knock when you're standing at the door (laughs) This is not what joshua would have wanted He had a different plan now, what he failed to see is that God's plan was better. What we're going to watch is Joshua's plan was probably defeat this city, this city, then this city, then this city, then this city, then this city. Instead, God said, look, I'll give you all five at once, but you've got to be willing to do the right thing at the right time. And the right thing doesn't always come at the time that feels right to us. In fact, the truth is some of the most important things that I've done in my life have been things that I did not want to do. Have you found that to be true? And so this is critical to see doing the right thing does not always come at the right time. The character isn't convenient, and so we choose to to do that thing. How do we do it then? When those moments come, how do we respond? Let's go to verse 7. Look at this. Joshua chapter 10, verse 7. So Joshua marched up from Gilgal with his entire army, including who? What's it say there? Including all the Best. best fighting men. And the Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid of them. I have given them into your hand. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. There's a really cool principle here. Joshua did not go with part of what he had. He didn't mail it in. He didn't give a half-hearted effort. Instead, what he did was give his very best. Some of you, I don't know in what way. Some of you... and. And I know we've said this over and over again in this series, but I think sometimes God speaks to us through repetition. Some of you are looking for victory in an area. In your home, in your family, in your work, in your schooling, in your finances, in your health, in your struggle against sin, in the challenges that you face to find victory. You're looking for that. And this is a principle that I hope you'll grasp, that victory requires our very best. Not just part of what we have. Not just giving God a little bit. But that victory requires that we give our very best. Why is that? Because when we do, we're not just doing it because we have character. The responses that we give are actually acts of worship back to God. We are worshiping Him. We are honoring Him. When we treat our neighbor right, we're not just treating our neighbor right. We're worshiping God in the process. When we respond in the right way to our family... When we're faithful in our financial dealings, when we're honest in what we do at work, when we give our best effort to our schooling, when we are are people of character, it's not just that we're doing the right thing. It's that we're actually worshiping God. That's the disconnect that we miss so many times. We think we're doing things just for ourselves when in actuality... Our relationship with God is affected by how we respond. So victory requires our very best. Look at how Jesus said this. Luke chapter 21. Jesus is in the temple during a time when people are giving their offerings. And Jesus looked up and he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Truly I tell you, he said, This poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. Did you see what Jesus said? He says, it's not about how much you have. It's about what you do with what you do have. Do you give your very best? And that's a challenge for us. It's something for us to consider. Because the Bible uses a word to talk about this, about how when we give our very best to God back in worship of our lives. It's a, it's a word that he uses in Scripture that isn't always real popular to us. Listen to what Paul uses here. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. He says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living, what? <laughs> Sacrifice. Holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. I don't like that word sacrifice. Because sacrifice in my mind means that I'm giving something up. It has this tone that I'm losing something. And what I think God wants us to grasp here is that idea of sacrifice isn't so much that we're losing something. But we're offering something to him because we know that when we offer it to him, what he gives us back in return is so much greater than that thing that we're trying to hold on to. That's what sacrifice is all about, that we give our very best to him because we believe that when we do, God responds, that that's an act of obedience. And here's here's the problem. Some of us are looking for victory, but we're not willing to put any effort behind it. And you cannot expect to have miraculous. Miraculous victory with mediocre effort. You cannot expect to have miraculous victory with mediocre effort. It requires your very best. God, I give you all of me. I decide to follow you. Lord, my life belongs to you. I put you in the driver's seat of my life. And you cannot expect to have miraculous victory with mediocre effort. Watch how this then plays out in Joshua's time. Joshua chapter 10, verse 9. After an all-night march from Gilgal, Joshua took them by surprise. So remember, Joshua is this brilliant military strategist, and he says, look, right now we have the upper hand on all these people who are attacking Gibeon. So here's what we're going to do. They know that we know that they're there, but they don't expect us to be there in the morning. So let's do this. Let's pack up our military gear. Let's get all of our army. Let's get the very best men. Let's leave right now and let's go. We're going to march all through the night, and then in the morning when we're there, we're going to have the element of surprise. It will confuse them. They'll have no idea what's going on. It's brilliant for him to do that. On paper, that's a great strategy. How do you think it feels to the guy who now has to walk all night? Not so good. 20 miles from Gilgal to Gibeon. All night, March. Probably about 8 to 10 hours for the army to get there. Any of you ever driven all night long? Ever driven through the night? These boys stopped a couple of times for some Red Bull, a couple of five-hour energy shots, right? No. They just kept moving. It was long. They expected to be in their tent sleeping. Now they're somewhere between Gilgal and Gibeon probably somewhere they've never been before and it's in the dark we were talking about this passage of scripture they could have been walking along cliffs that they've never been before maybe places where they can't see and all of a sudden the only way they know there's a drop-off there is because they hear somebody go Boo! right you're like don't go to the left jeremiah did and he's not coming back you know it's that kind of march right you ever been there You ever been in a season of your life where you think you're headed in the right direction? But it's taken a long time to get there. And you're not exactly sure of where you are. And it's a hard journey. And it feels really long. And at some point, you're not even sure where you are. And you're pretty sure you're in a place you don't want to be. What do you do in those times? Here's what I would challenge you with today. Do not allow the long, dark seasons to keep you from reaching a place of victory. Because too many times when people are in these long, dark seasons of their life, when you feel like you're in the midst of an all-night march one night after the other, it's easy to check out and to give up. Those health struggles start to get the best of you. And those financial burdens weigh heavy on you. And the fact that life hasn't gone the way you thought... Or that things didn't work out with your family the way you thought they were. Whatever that might be, it can be easy in those long dark seasons to check out and not see that God is leading you all along. Don't let those seasons keep you from a place of victory. It's tough when you can't see where you're going. But what do you do in those times? Step by step, you take another step and you trust in God. You put your hope in Him one step after the other, one of the things that is wonderful about winter in Ohio is how early it gets dark, right, and then how long it stays dark that's just it, it struck me in the last few weeks. just I get up at the same time every day, and for a while it was bright, and the birds were chirping and all that and Now you just look out the window and go i this isn 't right, right do you know what i 'm talking about?" It's that darkness, and now I have to go out in it where a few months ago I didn't. Now let's just let's just set the record straight here for just a moment. We live in Ohio, so we're not surprised or complaining, right? It happens, but it happens. And I know that my journey may begin in the dark, but here's what I know: that the longer I go, the more light I have. Proverbs chapter four verse eighteen: the path of the righteous. Is like the morning sun shining ever brighter till the full light of day. In that dark, long season, keep moving forward because God is bringing his light. He's going to direct you all along the way. And when it's hard, you keep pressing on. You don't give up. You don't get discouraged. When you're confused, know this, that that you're moving forward to what God has for you. took some time this week to talk about this passage of scripture with our staff and to ask them just for some insight in in explaining this. And and Leah Fuller, our serve director, said, you know, this reminds me of like when you get in your car and it's dark and you you start to drive with your headlights on, your headlights don't shine all the way to your house, do they? If you get in the car here in the church parking lot and you turn it on, your headlights are only going to shine a few feet. You can't see your house yet, but you can see where you need to go next. And so you follow that and you keep moving that next step, that next step until it finally takes you home. And that's what we do. We follow God. We trust Him one step at a time, even in those dark seasons. And this, this is one of the things that I think is so critical about this message today. Two, two thoughts that I hope that you'll, you'll grasp about what we're talking about today. I put them in a little bit of a, an equation that might help us. Because what we're looking for is miraculous victory. We want God to step in and help us and to do a work in our lives. So where does that miraculous victory come from? Let me give you this little equation. We'll talk about the two parts of it. Personal sacrifice plus divine empowerment equals miraculous victory. You have to have those two parts. Who is the one that brings us victory? Is it God? Three of us have it right. It's God, right? He gives us the divine empowerment, but it doesn't happen without personal sacrifice. It's this one-two punch that has to come together to bring the, the right situation so that God can do what only he can do. The truth is, and we need to grasp this, is that sacrifice opens the door for the miraculous. When you choose to respond, when you're obedient, when you're willing to give your very best to God... That's when the door opens up for God to be able to do the miraculous and work things out in your life. He's the one that brings the victory, but we have to be the one to respond. Here may be the best way to say it. You cannot do it without God, but God chooses not to do it without you. You want victory? God's the one who brings it. You won't find it without God. but God chooses not to bring it without you. He works with you and in you and through your life so, what do we mean when we talk about sacrifice? How, how, do you, how do you flesh that out? For Joshua, it was not doing what was convenient, but his character drove him to give his very best an all night march, a battle that he had to face. What's that look like for you? It may be a sacrifice of your time, which is probably one of the most precious things that, that all of us guard and are selfish with. It may be a sacrifice of your, your finances. Sacrifice that you may need to give up to God is your response to temptation and sin God I give you my very best It may mean that it's time for you to rearrange your priorities Really the idea behind sacrifice is God I'm willing to give up this thing Maybe even something that I love in order to get this better thing this victory that you have in store for me It may be in the area of your priorities. It may be time for you to get your hands dirty to stop saying that something sounds good or feels right or that you think this might be what you should do and actually put some feet to your faith and be active about what God would have you to do. It's a choice that you make to grow in your spiritual maturity. It's a choice that you make to invest in your marriage. It's a time when you say, God, I'll, I'll do what you've asked me to do. I'll make that sacrifice. And when you do it, it may be harder than what you thought it was going to be. It might take longer than what you expected. Any of you ever done a remodeling project? You say, look, we'll just, we'll just re, redo this kitchen. It's not a big deal. We'll just restore this automobile. It's not that hard. We'll just, we'll just take a movie theater and turn it into a church. How hard can that be, right? And then you get in the midst of it. And you say, this should only take us about this long. And then about four times longer than what you thought. You go, I think we might be done. It's a process, but that's what it takes. And when you get on the other side, you wouldn't change a thing for getting there. But that's why we take time and talk about personal sacrifice because you can't do it without God, but God chooses not to do it without you. Now, this is where I I think many of us need to really grasp the message that's behind this book. Because if I asked you, if I said, look, Joshua talks about living in the promises of God. How many of you would like to have God's promises at work in your life? You'd raise your hand. You'd say, I want to live in God's promises. I want His very best for me. I want victory in my life. We want that. We, we miss, though, part of the message of this whole book. Because if you read it, Joshua and the children of Israel didn't cross the Jordan River. And then God handed him a garage door opener and said, there you go, boys. Welcome home. He said, here you go, fellas. Now take this city. Then take that city. Then have a battle over here. Then you're going to have a struggle over there. And then you're going to have to do this. And it was one. If you read through the book. It was one battle after another. And the only way for them to get the promises. The only way for them to truly have victory. Was to go through this process. So, So hang on to this. There is no victory without battle. There's no victory without battle. The best things in life. They don't come cheap, do they? There's something that at some point we say, I have to put work and effort. I have to do my best. Every victory required a battle. And for some of us, that's what causes us to never find victory. Because we, we mumble and murmur and we become a victim or we complain. And we say, well, I just never... And things just kind of... I... Do you know what I'm talking about? Why, why do we never find victory in our lives? Let me give you just three quick reasons with, with this idea that there's no victory without a battle. Let me give you just three reasons why we fail to find victory sometimes. And, and maybe you'll say, hey, I, I see that I could be tempted to go down this road. What are, what are three reasons why we don't find victory? Number one, we give up too soon. We're in the midst of a battle, but we don't like the long, hard, dark seasons. And so we're tempted to just give up and just to stop. The very word battle implies that there is a physical struggle, that there is a challenge, that there is an effort against an opposing force. It's a dirty four-letter word called work. Have you ever heard it? And what happens is too many times we just give up too soon. We get to about mile seven and a half of the march, and we say, that's it, that's all I got in me. And if we would just move a little bit further, then God would have victory there for us. Here's the second thing that that happens. Number two, we do not like the process. Sometimes we don't find battle because we don't like the process that it takes to get there. And we're quick to say, well, I don't like this, or I don't understand this, or I don't want to do this. And so we give up. This happens a lot with people in their relationship with God. Because if you're like me, I'm prone to say, God, thank you for this opportunity. Now let me tell you how you and I are going to work this out. Heavenly Father, I have sent you a spreadsheet with an Excel um, uh, document attached to this email. And if you will look, I have every step mapped out. And if you are wise and omnipotent as I am, then you will know this is the best way, right? That's our response to God. And then God says, thanks for your cute little effort. Now let me show you how it's going to go down. And then we say, but God, I don't like that. God, that's not how I saw my future playing out. God, that's not how I thought this was going to go. God, I didn't see this illness. I didn't see this loss. I didn't see this person who's a real thorn in my flesh. God, I didn't see this. And so God, it's not fair that you did that. It's not fair that that tragedy struck. It's not fair that this person did that to me. It's not fair that this went down the way it did. And what happens is we get frustrated with the process, so we give up on victory. My friend Sarah was telling me about someone the other day, and it explained it this way, that somebody got frustrated with God. They didn't like the way that God was doing something. So as a result, because they didn't like it, this was the phrase she used. She said that she broke up with God. Isn't that an interesting concept, like an eighth grade romance? Like, you're my boyfriend, you're my girlfriend, kind of thing, and I didn't like the way you looked at me across the study hall, so we're breaking up. I didn't like the way that went. So they broke up with God. Did God break up with them? Did God walk away from them? No, but because they didn't like the way something was going down, they said, I don't want anything to do with you. I'm pushing you aside. And they break up with God. And sometimes the reason we lose out on victory is because we just don't like the process. So we say, God, I don't want to do this anymore, so I'm breaking up with you. And then we lose out on the victory. Now, let me give you one, one other reason and, and, and set the stage for this. We've, we've kind of taken a pretty, um, a pretty happy view of Joshua. We've looked at all the victory We've looked at all the wonderful things that God did. But if you read this book in a very realistic way, it's brutal, isn't it? For the last four or five chapters, they've done nothing but kill people. It's been mass murder, city after city after city. And not just selective targets. God told them, wipe them all out. Men, women, children, livestock. I don't want them here anymore. Take care of them. That's nice, isn't it? It's brutal. And it's harsh. And a lot of people wrestle with that. A lot of people like to look at the Old Testament and say, you say there's a God of love, but do you see what he did there? I don't like that God, so I break up with him. If you talk to a lot of people who are atheists, one of their major arguments against the God of the Bible is they say, if there is a God and he's that heartless, I don't want anything to do with him. So, so why would God do that? Because we know very clearly, the Bible says, both in the Old and the New Testament, that God is a God of love, so why would he call them to do so ridiculously heartless? Let's go back and talk about who these people were. The people who lived in Canaan were called the Canaanites. And oftentimes we picture them as kind, peasant farmers who are living peacefully in the land. And then God sends his children in and says, just take what is theirs and destroy them. It's different than that. If you look, not just in scripture, but if you go to archaeology and history, here's what you'll find. That the Canaanites were some of the most brutal and perverse people in history. That the things that they did to each other, their religious practices, and their sexual perversion were beyond what you and I even want to talk about today. If you consider everything from the way they conducted warfare to the way they sacrificed their own children, these were brutally harsh people. And so God gave them warnings... 400 years before this, he says, I am extending grace to the Canaanites. He promised this land, but he gives them 400 years to repent. They knew who he was because they'd seen his wonders. And instead of receiving him, they pushed him aside. So you've got to realize that what God was doing here was not just wiping out innocent people. When he went in and destroyed these people, he was actually stopping a holocaust. He wasn't so much a God of judgment as he was a God of justice. These weren't people who were kind and gracious. These were destructive people who, if they weren't stopped, would only continue their destruction. So now all of a sudden, that gives you a bit of a different story. And this is interesting for you to know. If you read the Old Testament, you'll hear God say to Israel, Israel, I'm giving this land to you, not because you're so good, but because they're so bad. I've got to do something better than that, so I give it to you. And then he says this, he says, Israel, when you go into this land, it is important that you wipe them all out, and here's why, because if you don't, they will be a bad influence on you. When I was in the fourth grade, my best friend was a kid named Clint, and Clint and I had a lot of fun together, and I remember when Mrs. Franks, my fourth grade teacher, rearranged the seating chart one day, and I got to sit next to Clint. Not a good idea on her part. And I remember within a few moments of sitting together, we forgot that anyone else was in the room, including the teacher, and we began to just chat it off and solve solve all the world's problems, right? And I remember Mrs. Franks walking over to Clint and I and pointing her finger in our faces and saying, you two are a bad influence on each other. That was the last day Clint and I sat next to each other. Didn't happen again. Because she said, you two are a bad influence on each other. God said to Israel, Israel, the Canaanites are a bad influence on you. And if you allow them to stay in the land, they're going to tempt you with their religious practices and their sexual perversion. They're going to lead you away from the one true God into all of the things that they follow that are false and wrong and destructive. Does that ring true with anybody? And what God is speaking to us here, what he's saying there to us is, you need to make sure that you know who your enemy is and that you wipe them out. Here's the third reason why so many of us fail to find victory. is because we do not take our enemies seriously. We let those things that can destroy us just kind of hang out and linger. That bitterness isn't that bad. I'll nurse that wound. That temptation isn't that bad. I actually find a little joy in it. That attitude isn't that bad. It makes me feel good about myself. And we fail to realize that those things are actually enemies of our souls. And if we don't take them seriously, they will destroy us. And they'll rob the victory from our lives so much so that listen to the language that Paul uses in the New Testament to describe this, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. He uses military language. He says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. There's this language there that says, don't, don't be too light about your enemies. If you don't take your enemies seriously, it will bring destruction to your soul. And so Paul so clearly tells us, and Joshua points out to us, that one of the reasons why we don't find victory is because we don't take our enemies seriously. Two sides to this equation that we talked about, right? One, personal sacrifice. The other, divine empowerment. One last thing about personal sacrifice. Some of you needed to hear that today. You needed to know that the character's not convenient, that God calls you to give your very best, that it may be a long, hard, all-night march that's going to get you to that place of victory, but you can't give up. And you need to not give in. And even if you don't like the process, you need to take care of those enemies and move forward, that there's this certain part that lands on you. But the, the, the problem is when we think it's all about us and what we can do. The truth is, it's this combination. It's this two-sided consideration that it's both personal sacrifice and divine empowerment so now let's get into the best part of the story are you ready joshua chapter 10 verse 10 the lord threw them the enemies the lord threw them into confusion before israel so joshua and the israelites defeated them completely at gibeon who was it that threw them into confusion it was the the lord the lord did it in that interesting it says the lord did the work and then joshua got the credit for the victory watch how it happened Israel pursued them along the road going up to Beth Horon and cut them down all the way to Azekah and Machedah. And as they fled before Israel on the road down to Beth Horon to Azekah, the Lord hurled large hailstones down on them. And more of them died from the hail than were killed by the swords of the Israelites. Isn't that awesome? Can you picture this? The enemy army is running away from Joshua. They are in hot pursuit. These guys pull out their iPhones to check the weather channel. And what they see is that there's a 100% chance of deadly hail. That's, that's amazing. Did you see what God did there? This is something you need to grasp. God will provide what is needed for victory. You have to do what you have to do. You have to be faithful. You have to be willing to sacrifice. You have to be willing to move forward. But the victory doesn't come from you. You can do all of that knowing this, that you rely on him to bring the victory. Now I made a note in my notes. I wrote this down and I felt it strongly about this next verse. I put that this is a word for someone today. Now, I don't know if you're sitting in this room or if you're watching online or if you're over in the overflow area. I don't know where you are. But listen to this verse because I believe that for someone, this is a word from God for you today. Verse 8, the Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid of them. I have given them into your hand. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. God has promised that if you'll go out there and do your part, he will provide what is needed for victory. Here's here's the best part of this whole story. Are you ready? Joshua chapter 10 verse 12. On the day the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel, Joshua said to the Lord, listen to that, Joshua said to the Lord... So he's praying a prayer in the presence of Israel. Sun stands still over Gibeon. And you moon over the valley of Ejelon. So the sun stood still. And the moon stopped till the nation avenged itself on its enemies. As is written in the book of Jashar. Which was a history book of that time. The sun stopped in the middle of the sky... And delayed going down about a full day. There has never been a day like it before or since. A day when the Lord listened to a human being. Surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. Do you see what happened there? They're out there and they're fighting. And Joshua prays this crazy prayer. He says, God, make the sun stand still. And it does. It stops in the sky. Now, I remember when my dad used to make me work out in the yard in July. I think I experienced that, right? Is this ever going to end? But there's never been a day like that. When God did something that amazing, that miraculous. Let me point out just a couple things. The first is this, that God hears bold prayers, doesn't he? What a crazy thing to pray, If you came into my office and said, should I pray this? I'd probably say, can we take your temperature? God didn't. God heard it. And God said, I like that kind of faith. I like that kind of trust in me. God hears bold prayers. When was the last time you prayed one? When was the last time you had so much trust in God in your circumstance that you said, God, I believe that you can do something crazy to make this happen? Because here's the whole truth of this passage. Grasp this. God fights for us when we fight for him. Some of you have been asking, where's my miracle? Where's where's the sun stand still for me? God, when are you going to do something divine for me? Look, it might be hailstones or it might be you swinging the sword. It might be that they run or it might be that you have to chase them. The truth is there is a work that you have to do and God fights for us when we fight for Him. I am going to use a dirty word and I want to warn you because I heard this word last night and it frustrated me. Did you hear there's snow coming today? <laughs> Rhonda told me that last night and she's not a woman who speaks untruth. But I had to check my phone just to make sure my big fear was that it was going to come this morning and we were going to start that all over again. Do you remember that when you all skipped church all last winter? Do you remember that? <laughs> just kidding. You were great. I'm just kidding. I'm just a little bitter but against the weather, but it's good. i was just kidding. You were here. You're awesome. Um, it's eventually going to come, right? And when it does, God will send the sun and the snow will melt. You don't shovel your yard, but you better go out there and hit the driveway, right? Dealing with that is a two-sided deal. God sends the sun, and then he gives you a shovel. And God puts in your hands the part that you're supposed to do. And he does what only he can do. And God fights for us when we fight for him. And here's the thing that I challenge you with. I wonder how many times God has made the sun stand still in my life and I just didn't know it. Maybe not that in particular. But how many times did he set something up so that I went through an intersection and and didn't get slammed? How many times... Did he line something up in my life where he protected or he provided? And I have no idea the miracles that he did that we may never know until we get on the other side of this life. I've seen it so many times. Like when I go to a hospital to visit someone and I run into the people that I'm looking for, whether it be in the hallway or in the elevator, and I know this, that one difference in a parking space, and I never would have seen those people. But God directed that divine appointment. How many times has God done that in our lives, but we're blind to it because we're so busy and we're moving forward, and we don't realize that all along what he's doing is bringing us victory. Recognize this, God does what only he can do, so we can do what we must. God does what only he can do, He provides that, he gives that to us so that we're able to do what we must do, to live our lives, to serve him, to be faithful in our jobs, to be faithful in our marriages, to do the things that God has called us to do. He does what only he can do so we can do what we must. And some of you are here today and you're looking for victory and the promise you need to hang on to this, listen to these words, God will sustain you and provide what you need for victory. God will sustain you. That word resonated in my soul this week when I was studying this. God will sustain you. Do you know what God did there? God had them fight the battle. He just left the lights on for them, right? He gave them what they needed. He will sustain you and he will provide for you so that you can find victory. Watch this equation one last time. Personal sacrifice plus divine empowerment equals miraculous victory. Let's play this out in two different ways and then we'll we'll close. I don't know if you realize this but the story of Joshua is more than just a historical account it's true these things happen and the Bible explains them and expresses them for us but they're more than just a historical account the Old Testament uses Joshua to point the way to us to give us a little hint of who Jesus is going to be when he comes and Jesus is our Joshua who leads us into the promised land He died on the cross. He paid the price so that our sins could be forgiven so that we could find everything that we need. And here's the truth. Jesus sustains us then he provides for us and he helps us so that we can move into the victory that we need in our lives. Have you found that to be true? That's, That's why we sang that song today that says Christ is enough for me. And if you're here this morning... And God is speaking to your heart, and you 're saying, i can 't do this on my own anymore, and I need to begin this relationship with Jesus Christ." Or maybe you need to begin that relationship again. In just a moment, i 'm going to invite people to come to this altar for, for a lot of different reasons, but one may be that today you say, "God, I need, I need to give you my life. I need to sacrifice myself and surrender myself to you. then i 'm going to invite you to respond." But take, take one last minute and go back to this story. Could you imagine if you're one of Joshua's soldiers? You're an Israelite infantryman. And you're out there and you're fighting. And all of a sudden, even though you've been up all night because of the march, and now you're out there and you've been fighting for a long time, you look down at your watch and you're like, man, it sure is bright for this time of day. Did they have watches? <laughs> no. How did they tell time thousands of years ago? By looking at the, and it ain't moving. It's just staying there. And if anybody was aware of what God was doing, it were those soldiers who could just look up and go, I know what time it feels like, but that's not moving. God is supernaturally stopping time. To give me what I need to be able to do what he's called me to do. God will sustain you. He will provide for you. He will do the unthinkable and the impossible. Be able to give you victory in your life. That's a good promise to hold on to, isn't it? So if you'll do your part and you'll entrust him to do his part, he says he will bring you miraculous victory. So will you stand with me this morning? And here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I want, I want to be able to pray with those of you that God may be speaking to you today. So very simply, if you're here and you would say, God... I need, I need victory in a place in my life. And what I need from you is to sustain and provide. God, I'll do what I can. I'll give you myself. But today, I need you to fight on my behalf. If that's you, as the team begins to lead us in that song that we sang earlier, Christ is Enough, would you just step out of your seats and come here? And I, I want to pray and do something kind of significant in just a moment. And it may be you, you're, you're quick to say, ah, I don't want to move, or that's awkward, or people are watching, or I'm way up here, or whatever that might be. But if God's speaking to your heart, don't talk yourself out out of that. You're not taking a walk. You're taking a step of faith. And so as Dustin begins to sing this song that says, Christ is enough. If today you say, God, I need you to provide and sustain me. Would you step out of your seat and come here and stand? Dustin, would you lead us in that song? If God's speaking to your heart, And take that step of faith. God, I need you to sustain me. God, I need you to provide for me. God, I need you to intervene on behalf of my family. God, I need your strength on the job. God, I need you to empower me to be victorious over temptation. God, I need to give myself. God, I need your wisdom. God, I need your strength. Whatever it might be, if God's speaking to your heart, I encourage you to respond. Let's sing the next part, I Have Decided. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Sing that again. Sing it with all your heart, I Have Decided. Jesus, no back, no I have decided. and encourage you that are, that are here. Uh, what, I, what I love about that song is the two parts that we sang. We sang that Christ is enough. He's the one that gives us the victory. And then the next part says, I have decided to follow Jesus. So Jesus, if you're the one who gives it to me, then I put my confidence and trust in you. It's personal sacrifice with divine empowerment. That's where miraculous victory comes from. So God, I say, I need you. I need you to sustain me. I need you to provide for me. But God, I believe that as I follow you, as I do my part, as I'm obedient, as I give myself to you, that you're going to do that. And so I want to lead you in a prayer for those of you that are here at the altar, maybe for some of you that that know that you should be, that in this moment, and you just take an opportunity to say, God, I need your victory. I need your empowerment. I need your sustaining power. But God, I do that by surrendering myself to you. So Father, we come to you. Lord, your word's so good. And that it speaks right to where we are. Lord, and I know for some of us, our our quest for victory has brought us to this point today. Lord, for some of us, we're in a long, dark season. But we know that at the end of this all-night march is victory that only you can bring. And so, Father, would you sustain us? Would you provide for us? Lord, in this moment, we, we surrender all that we have to you. Holy Spirit, if you're speaking very specifically about some area of commitment or, or sacrifice in our lives, would you, would you by your Spirit, enlighten that to us. Help us to have the strength to rearrange our priorities or to take those steps of faith or to, to improve those relationships. Whatever it is, God, would you give us that empowerment today so that we can, with our personal sacrifice and your divine empowerment, See that miraculous victory. And so we pray a bold prayer to the God who can stop time and make the sun stand still. We ask, Lord, that you would help us to be strong and courageous. That you would give us all that we need, all that we need to find victory in you. As we go from here, Father, we ask that you'd go with us. Send us out with your special favor and your wonderful peace. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for being here today. If you're a guest, I hope you'll stop by our Connection Center. I'll be there. We'd love the privilege to meet you. Have a great Sunday. We'll see you next week.